When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. Oh, and with the ending, one of the great film endings of all time from Some Like It Hot, we begin this edition of The Business of Film. I'm joined by James Cameron Wilson. We're going to spend near the end of the year now, James. We're going to have a look back at the year in some form. But uh, the current film of the moment, <laughs> though possibly not your favourite of the year, is the new Spider-Man film, isn't it? Well, we don't know that. I gave you quite a, a rosy... Um... Encapsulation. Well, okay. I'm sorry. It was if you know a lot about the metaverse, you might be able to understand it. Well, it would help. It would. It's great fun. But anyway, more of that anon. Um, It's opened in the states and in the UK at the same time, and it has shattered box office records. It's made more money over its first weekend in the US than any other movie bar. Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. In fact, at one moment, they thought it was actually going to overtake Avengers Infinity War. So considering we are still in the middle of an Omicronic pandemic, it is quite extraordinary that this film has done so well. And I saw it in a packed cinema. It's made $253 million over the weekend. And that doesn't count the millions, the hundreds of millions it's made overseas as well. Which is interesting because a lot of people are being scared away from the multiplex because of Omicron, but you can't keep them away from Spidey. Yeah, so I went to see uh, West Side Story, which as you pointed out last week, it's amazing reviews, um, went to one of the big cinemas in the West End, in the Haymarket of London, and I think there were seven people in the entire screening. That is very sad. It's a very grown-up musical and a lot of grown-up people. The sort of demographic who I think would be drawn to West Side Story are not the sort of people who would want to be seen dead sitting in a cinema because they're a more vulnerable type of audience. Well, perhaps that's the case. but um, I think The Greatest Showman, which was a huge success, is more of a family, slightly younger audience than West Side Story. Yes, yes. You may well be right. Yes. So, so were you? Are you? You're saying Spider-Man then is is great fun. So you're recommending it for people if they're not particularly worried about being in a cinema with lots and lots of other people. I am indeed. Um, okay. Well, I'll tell you a little about it. I mean, not since I first saw No Time to Die have I witnessed so many surprises in one franchise pick. But whereas I could share a lot of the spoilers from the James Bond film with my intimates because practically everybody I knew had seen no time to die, I have to keep my mouth all to myself as regards Spider-Man, No Way Home. 
my modus operandi for seeing a new film is to know the running time. In this case, it's 148 minutes. The certificate, to brace myself, it's a 12A. And the location, so I don't spend the entire movie scratching my head thinking, what is this city? So it's, it's New York City. I like to be surprised like you. I don't watch the trailer and let the film do the... I, I like to let the film do the storytelling yeah, yeah. for yeah, me. Yeah. So I was deliciously surprised by what the new Spider-Man had in store. I think of all the Marvel superheroes, I've had a liking for Peter Parker the most. And Tom Holland has brought a genuine youth and amiability to the role. Although he's now 25 and he's played Spider-Man six times, he still looks 12. <laughs> and I think it's cute that his girlfriend, MJ, played by Zendaya, towers over him. And why not? Regardless of what plot revelations a superhero movie brings to the table, it's all for now if you are not engaged by the characters. And No Way Home, which marks Tom Holland, as I said, his sixth outing uh, as the web-slinger, has an abundance of characters. And the good news is that the film takes off frenetically where the last one left off. Spider-Man's exposure as, yikes, Peter Parker. And having been framed for Mysterio's drone attacks on London, Parker is in deep trouble with the police, as is everybody who is close to him, including his girlfriend, MJ, his aunt, May, played by Marissa Tomei, May's boyfriend, Happy, John Favreau, and Peter's best mate, Ned, a considerably slimmed down Jacob Batalon, who I was surprised how, how many pounds he's lost since the last movie. But there's more, all due to a spell that goes wrong, while Benedict Cumberbatch, as Doctor Strange, attempts to wipe out the memory of everybody who ever knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. That is the entire world. It's not Doctor Strange's fault, it's Peter's, as he tries to change the small print mid-incantation, and so conjures up his previous nemeses from movies past, namely the tentacled Doc Ock, played by Alfred Molina, yes, the Green Goblin, Willem Dafoe, the Electrical Electro, Jamie Foxx, the Shape-Shifting Sandman, Thomas Hayden Church, and the Reptilian Lizard, or Lizard, Reese Iffens. But rather than send this queer quintet back to where they came from, he decides to keep them prisoner until he can work out a way to cure them of their evil alter egos. Mm -hmm. Only somebody as idealistic and perhaps as naive as Peter Parker would twist the multiverse to such altruistic ends and thereby hangs a tale. And all this is enormous fun and barely lets up, belying the film's considerable running time of almost two and a half hours and having turned the multiverse inside out, recalling certain plot points from the animated Spider-Man movie, the critically acclaimed Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the film gallops on from there, recalibrating the entire mythology of the known Spider-Verse. And so we have a fusion of great special effects, rule-breaking narrative U-turns, and a host of colourful 
participants. As I say, it's enormous fun and I really enjoyed it all. But really, really, it's all just a bit too much. Here I felt less might have been more. Not One half hours seems seems almost the, the standard running time of films now, which is funny. Um, but I have to ask: Do you need to have seen the other Spider-Man films to to get as much as you're going to get out of this one? I think it would help, and I think why it is so successful is because there is a huge fan base for Spider-Man, and there are scenes later on, as I say, I, I won't give any spoilers here, where I was just chuckling and my mouth was open. I could just couldn't believe it. Wow. But then I have seen all the Spider-Man movies. Mm. But I, I think there's so much fun and so many good jokes and so many likeable characters and so many villains. It's amazing to have got all those five villains back in one movie. Um, I, yeah, I think a passing knowledge of the more arcane mysteries of quantum physics might also help. All this should have been exhilarating escapism, and maybe it will be, I think, for the real fans. But it left me engaged rather than stirred. I think part of the problem is that all these superheroes and supervillains have left the real world behind, a world we used to recognise. The Superman movies of the 1970s and 1980s convinced us that a man could fly. But now it's also cynical. The real wonder arises when we share that awe with the human characters on screen. And so many of the most effective sequences in the new Spider-Man feature the interaction between Peter, Tom Holland, and Zendaya, mm -hmm. Jacob Batalon, John Favreau, and Marissa Tomei. And talking mm -hmm. of Benedict Cumberbatch, who mm -hmm. is very funny here, by the way, he pops up in yet another film. Well, maybe, maybe if you're about to talk about another film, should we just briefly pause for breath uh, there, James? Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson as we um, assess what is happening at the UK box office. So we've been talking about Spider-Man... Um, uh, no Way Home, um, and then you were talking about Benedict Cumberbatch and about to mention another film. Well, it wasn't, well, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was raving about his performance in The Power mm. of the Dog. Yes. And then, of course, he has a very big role in Spider-Man No Way Home. But he's in a yet another film, which opens on New Year's Day. So I thought, well, I had a chance. I'd tell you a little about it. It's called The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, directed and co-written by Will Sharp, who's got a, a television series at, on at the moment with Olivia Coleman called Landscapers. Oh, I hear uh, great things about that. I haven't seen it I, yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. It's supposed um, to be very good, as you say. Yes. With David Thewlis, um, Olivia Coleman playing a married couple who uh, do a bit of murder on the hmm. side. So I only know really... And, and one Sharp. of them collecting a lot of movie, movie memorabilia, as I remember from the uh, okay. uh, review I saw. Okay. So, yes. Well, I only know Will Sharp, really, as an actor. So I was quite surprised by the electrical life of Louis Wayne. Louis Wayne is an extraordinary person. This is, we're talking about the 1880s here. Benedict Cumberbatch plays him. He's a part-time boxer. He writes operas. He draws on the side. And he sees himself as a pioneering inventor. What he 
does do is quite extraordinary. He he find, he and his wife, Emily, played by a befuddled, radiant Claire Foy, find a little kitten, an abandoned kitten in the garden, and they take it into the house. And for Victorian England, this was astonishing because people did not take cats into houses any more than you would park a donkey in mm. the kitchen. But they rear this kitten. And while Louis Wayne is struggling to make ends meet and uh, he has to support his five sisters as well as his widowed mother, played by Phoebe Nichols, uh, he starts drawing and he draws with both hands at once and he paints with both hands at once, which in itself is fascinating. And he starts drawing Peter the cat. And he's writing for the Illustrated London News and his drawings become a sensation. And people start bringing cats into their houses. They're not just mousers who, who, who are in the barn at the back of the house. They actually are brought into the house. And I didn't realise that Louis Wayne, this extraordinary person, was uh, the reason for this. And at first, it's got an air of the, is it called The Personal History of uh, David Copperfield, directed yes. by Armando Inucci, about it. And I thought maybe it was a little, I was expecting Joyce Cranville to turn up any minute. It was <laughs> so over the top. And Andrea Riseborough really plays it for farce, who plays uh, Louis Wayne's sister. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so farcical. And farce is a very difficult genre to do well. But once you get to know Louis Wayne and he falls for Claire Foy, it kind of settles down a bit in the second half. And I was so affected by this extraordinary character. And Benedict Cumberbatch plays him so well. Claire Foy, as always, is absolutely brilliant. He's got a very strong cast. Toby Jones plays his publisher. I was completely won over by this film. He is a real human being, and it really does him justice. Okay. And I, I really recommend it. it. It's quite affecting. It's very funny. It's very unusual. And above all, it is amazingly fascinating. And out on New Year's Day. Okay. Yeah. The Electrical okay. Life of Louis Wayne. Where do we go now? Well, it just gets better and better because I think I enjoyed Spider-Man No Way Home. I thought the electrical life of Louis Wayne, particularly the second half, was really good. And I wasn't expecting to be so knocked out by Swan Song. I was aware that it was getting some Oscar buzz for Mahershala Ali in the lead role and Naomi Harris as Best Supporting Actress. It's on Apple Plus streaming as we speak it came out just now boy is it intelligent it's set in the near future but it feels so credible it feels so real and i think what's happening with science and technology at the moment is it's very incremental and it's the small things like our our phones and everything that are leaping into the future and this film feels lived in. And even when you see Mahershala Ali go into his house, it's a very modern house, but it's still, it's a lived in house. There are sneakers scattered on the hall, that the, there's clothes on the laundry basket mm. uh, and there are sort of pictures on the fridge. It, it's a lived in world. And I think so often, and we've seen so many films set in the future this year, where it's another world we can't even begin to comprehend. But here it's very much set 
in the present, in the future, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it begins beautifully. You've got Mahershala Ali, who's on a train, and he, he's drawing what looks like a comic book. And this refreshment dispenser uh, turns up beside him and guesses what he wants to drink because your preferences in the future will be known in advance mm-hmm. by the internet and technology. And I, I liked those little touches, which are a given, which the characters take in their stride. So he orders um, his latte with oat milk and no sugar, and he orders a chocolate bar. And then this woman comes and sits next to him, played by Naomi Harris. And of course, they were both together in Moonlight. You mm. remember he played the drug dealer and she played the crack addict. And anyway, she, she's speaking French on her Bluetooth earpiece. And she takes a piece of his chocolate, which is lying on the table in front of him. And he just smiles. And then he pulls the chocolate towards him and he takes a piece. And then she pulls it towards him. They don't know each other. They're trying to avoid eye contact. And then she takes the chocolate bar and goes. Well, in fact, she leaves it for him. But And it's later on in the journey, he reaches in his pocket and realises, in fact, he put the chocolate bar into his pocket mm. and he, she was eating her own chocolate yes, bar. Yes, a, a, a story a much loved of Douglas Adams. He used to tell almost exactly the same story about some biscuits. Oh, really? Yes, yes. but I I guess it works well. It works really well, and inevitably, it's a memory, and the film is all about memory. I'm not going to tell you what happens. I can tell you, because it all happens in the first scene, that he and Naomi Harris are married, and he has an illness, and he has to make a very big decision. And in the future, there are certain things being tried out, particularly by the Dr. Joe Scott, played by... Glenn Close, no less. And he has to make this decision on his own because he knows that he can go on living with the help of science, but he cannot bring himself to tell Naomi Harris. It is beautifully shot. It's directed by um, Benjamin Cleary. I'm pretty sure that's his name, who's a Dublin-born director and writer. He made a film called Stutterer, which I think was 2015, which won the Oscar for Best Short. And I can't wait to see what he does next. This is the first central genre. This. I mean, you say it's in the future, but it doesn't sound like a science fiction film particularly. It is not a science fiction film, but it does use science for its premise. I would call it a futuristic, intimate domestic drama. Okay. Uh, But it is, it reminded me of Ex Machina, it's oh, yes. very intelligent, yes. but it, it doesn't have robots, but it, it treats, it's a lived-in world, and he has to make these decisions hmm. by himself. And I was terribly moved. And you really feel the love between Naomi Harris and Mahershala Ali. And this is his first leading role. Now, you may argue that he was the star of Green Book, but he did win the Oscar for that hmm. as Best Supporting Actor. And Viggo Mortensen got all the awards for Best Actor. So this is really Mahershala Ali's first lead role. And, of course, Moonlight, he was a, he won another Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. I just was totally gripped from beginning to end. There's a wonderful supporting turn from uh, Aquafina as well. OK, James, thank you. Where, where are you taking us now? I thought we should look back at the top 10 box office films of 2021, as this is what this show is. is a chart show after all. Yeah. 
Indeed, though, though, of course, <laughs> when we get the end numbers for Spider-Man, that might upset the Apple Card a little bit if it's doing quite as well as you suggest. Well, so, indeed. Is... So this is without Spider-Man No Way Home. And yeah. I'm going to go from 10 to 1. And okay. I would like you to contribute. OK, I so... won't be able to guess any of these. I never can. You make me every year and I never get it right. But OK, okay. well, number 10. Uh, this is a film you have seen, Simon. I absolutely loved it. I don't know what you think or thought of it, but Idris Elba is in it. Um, what have you seen with Idris Elba? Oh, very James, I can't, my mind is not in the right state of the world. I know you'll have to tell me. Okay. It's um, the Suicide Squad. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Oh, no, incredibly good in it as well. Yes, you're right. I have seen it. Of course, I was thinking of cinema and I did not actually see it in a cinema. Okay, um, okay. I saw it online, which is I was was very lucky a slightly different feeling. Yes, I saw it and on the big you screen. loved it. I enjoyed it immensely. I mean, it's drivel, but it's very enjoyable. Entertaining it's very drivel. W very yeah. well made yes. as well. Yeah. And with people like Viola Davis and Sylvester Stallone playing a, a bipedal shark, you have to chuckle. Yes, I only I only realised that when I looked at the credits at the end. I hadn't actually recognised You didn't realise it was play. Stallone? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, okay. I wish I had, because it would have made it funnier, I think. Okay, that's number 10. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we have another film, this time starring Gemma Chan, directed by Chloe Zhao, which didn't do as well as they had hoped. It still got into the top 10 anyway. This is obviously a Marvel film. Angelina Jolie is also in it. It is called Eternals. Number eight, we've got a film co-starring Natalie Emmanuel who is um, another... In they're, they're all British. I'm, I'm very much aware of this. Mm. It's called Fast and Furious 9, which I was very disappointed by, I have to say, because mm. I just loved Fast and Furious 8. At number seven, a film I did love, which I think you did too, with Jodie Comer called Free Guy. Oh, yes. Great fun. Yeah. Yes. And I think the reason it did so well, because you could only see it in a hard top. You could only see it yeah. in a cinema. At number yeah. six, we've got a film with Tom Hardy, another Brit, called Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which I thought was marginally better than the first Venom, but that's not saying a lot. At number five, we've got a film with Florence Pugh, who I actually voted for as one of my best supporting actresses. I think, I think for the London Film Critics Circle Awards, we allowed one, two, and three, and I put Florence Pew at number th uh, number three for Black Widow with uh, Scarlett Johansson, which did really well. And at number four, we've got a film with the voice of James Corden. You you can butt in whenever you feel like. Yeah, you, yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Um, I'm immediately thinking any film with the voice of James Corden might be one I don't particularly want to see, but I may be wrong. No, it's one of the worst films of the year, but it did incredibly well. And I think people were just desperate to get back in the cinema. And it's the one of the first to actually be shown in the cinema. It's called Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. Right. And I just thought it was as dire yeah. as the first one, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. Slightly better is the film at number three with Charlotte Rampling, Simon, as the Reverend Mother and the Emperor's Truth Sayer. Nope. Okay, you look puzzled. That's, that's that um, Oriental um, Marvel one, is it? No, it's Dune. No. Oh, Dune. Oh, right. No, I haven't seen that yet either. Okay. Which is getting a lot of awards buzz. I personally, I feel I may be in a minority because I was very impressed by it. 
but I wasn't enthralled or excited or right. emotionally engaged, which I think you have to be when you go to the cinema. If, you, mm. if you're paying your 15 quid or whatever, that's very important. However, the next film has got Ben Kingsley and Benedict Wong in it. I'm still sticking with the British talent here. Mm. Shung Z and the Legend of oh, yeah. the Ten. That's the one I was thinking of, but I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, yeah which name, yeah. was the highest grossing film in the US until, obviously, uh, Spider-Man opened. Oh, well, so I, think I, can, what... I think I can guess number one then. That's, okay, that's another a... British actor in the lead. I'll give you a clue then. Yes, yes. D Daniel Craig, clearly, and we're talking about No Time to Die, which has done fairly well from what you've been telling us over the last few weeks. Not quite the most successful Bond ever, but pretty close. Getting closer to Skyfall all the time. And when you think with the ancillary market and DVDs and streaming and everything else, and not VHS anymore, but it's going to be around and... It's just a matter of can it break the hundred million pound mark? Yes, um, James. Just very briefly, um, allow me to interject with something. I thought I knew most of the good Christmas movies from all time, and then somebody mentioned one I'd never watched before. You may well have them called Holiday Affair from 1949, um, in which Robert Mitchum competes for the affections of um, of single mother Janet Lee, who lost her husband in the war. And it's a really good movie. Actually, really? actually written by Isabel Lennox, so one of the very few female screenwriters at that at that time. Um, and I thought it was really good. And I mention it because it is currently on, on iPlayer, so people can see it. I imagine it'll be around for a little while. But it was really, really splendid. I mean, not as saccharine as many Christmas movies by any means. Um, but no, I watched it with a friend we thought was a very intelligent, interesting Christmas movie. I just uh, like the idea it, of finding... What is it called again? It's called Holiday Affair. Holiday Affair with Robert with, with Mitchum and Robert Janet Mitchum Lee. as a romantic lead, yeah. Well, yeah. you didn't see that very often. <laughs> no, that's what I was saying when we saw it. Anyway, sadly, we're out of time, James. But thank you so much for uh, that. Uh, James Cameron Wilson there uh, uh, telling us uh, the latest from the world of cinema. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Easy, miss. I've got you. you. You've got me? Who's got you? I am not an animal! Where the devil are my slippers? <laughs> <laughs>